0: Hello, welcome back to the Word Weaver podcast. You're listening to chapter three. Today I'm going to talk about imposter syndrome. What is it? How do you recognize it? And my tips to overcome it because, God knows, I've experienced my fair share of imposter syndrome. I actually had a different chapter that I wanted to post this week, but in light of Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade's recent and very tragic deaths, I knew that this was a topic that I really wanted to talk about, and as I read articles about the two of them, I couldn't get imposter syndrome off of my mind. Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade were both incredible storytellers and hugely successful brands in their own right. Anthony Bourdain was seemingly everywhere. CNN, I was watching him on Netflix, he's the best-selling author of Kitchen Confidential, And then with Kate Spade, I mean, I use her purse and wallet every single day, but her brand is known for being happy, bubbly, and extremely colorful. From the outside perspective, they seemingly had it all. They had made it. They were super successful. And what struck me was that even their close circle of family and friends all said that they didn't know. They didn't know how bad it was. They didn't know that they were struggling that much in silence. And it just goes to show that we all have a persona that we give off to the world, an outward facade, a mask, a shield of armor that we wear every single day, and then there's who we really are underneath. They might both be layers of our personality, but each one on its own is not who we are. So who I am on Instagram is not who I am in my day-to-day life. It's part of me, it's a shiny external part, but I'm actually really introverted and quite shy, which a lot of you might be surprised to know. For Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade, obviously their successful media persona really differed from what they were feeling inside, and it just goes to show that everybody has a story. Everybody is struggling with something, and I think it's really important to recognize when this imposter syndrome rears its ugly head because it can be really detrimental to your psychological and mental health. The term imposter syndrome was created in 1978 officially, which is actually pretty recent, but the phenomenon has obviously been going on for decades and decades. They just didn't have a name for it before. I actually read that over 70% of people suffer at least one point in their lives or careers from imposter syndrome. And I'd argue that it's probably 100% of people have felt this at some point in their life or in their career. They just might not have recognized it at that time. The most basic definition is defined as feelings of inadequacy and chronic self-doubt that override any feelings of success. High achievers like Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade and writers are usually the most susceptible to imposter syndrome. These high achievers with imposter syndrome attribute any success to luck or outside circumstances. It's never based on their own skill or hard work. And while a little humility goes a long way, you don't wanna be bragging or boasting all the time, the difference with imposter syndrome is that it's a debilitating lack of confidence and it can hinder achieving goals and can contribute to anxiety, depression, Isolation, frustration, all of those things. Writers fall victim to this the most because it's such a subjective subject. Whether somebody likes your work or they hate it, there is no right or wrong. It's not like a math problem that can be solved. Somebody just genuinely likes it or they hate it. But because of such a wide variety of opinions, it's really easy to fall victim to imposter syndrome and feeling like a fraud and like you're not good enough and somebody's going to find you out. A telltale sign is when people call themselves aspiring writers. It's like they put the word aspiring to cushion the fact that they're calling themselves a writer because they feel like imposters. They're scared that if they call themselves a writer, somebody's going to call them out. There's the misconception that you need external validation from a publisher to call yourself a writer when the truth is if you write, you are a writer. Even when I got into journalism school, I remember calling myself an aspiring writer and one of my professors looked at me like I was insane and said, why do you call yourself an aspiring writer? And I just said, well, I haven't published anything big in a literary magazine and my manuscript's not done yet, so I'm definitely not a real writer like Hemingway or F. Scott Fitzgerald. And she paused and she looked at me again like I was insane and she said, well, You clearly chose to study the craft of writing, and I said yes. You like to read, I said yes. Do you write often, and do you enjoy it? I said yes, and yes. Well then, you're a writer. There's no aspiring, you just are. Ever since then, I've stopped calling myself an aspiring writer. And if you're one of those people, let me be the one, like my professor was to me, who tells you you are enough you are a writer and just remember that even super successful authors like jk rowling i'm sure anthony bourdain did as well suffer with imposter syndrome just because you get the external validation from a publisher that fear of being found out as a fraud that you don't actually know how to write never actually goes away you're scared your editors are going to think what you wrote is shit. you're worried that your publisher is going to drop you Even Maya Angelou, after she'd published over 11 books, multiple short stories and poems, Oprah looked up to her for advice. Before she wrote a new book, she would say, each time I think, uh oh, they're gonna find out now. I've run a game on everybody, and they're gonna find me out. If Maya Angelou thinks like that, it just goes to show that you're not alone. Everybody is just trying to reconcile their different facades and personas and figure things out as they go along. One of the biggest traits to recognize in others, but most importantly in yourself, is crippling perfectionism. I know that Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade both were huge perfectionists, as are most writers who spend their days worrying about comma placement, plot, character development... Perfectionists usually set really high goals for themselves, but the problem is if they fail to reach them, they experience major self-doubt and frustration, often even anxiety and depression. But also if they do reach those goals, they're never satisfied. They think they could have done something better or it was just luck. It wasn't anything that they did that contributed to that achievement. Writer's block is actually a manifestation of imposter syndrome and it's just an illusion. You think you're not good enough. Your perfectionist brain thinks you'll never be good enough, so you just don't write, and everything you write is shit. Oftentimes, you'll end up procrastinating, which is another trait to look for. You'll take out the trash, empty the refrigerator, go for a walk, go get the groceries. You'll do anything else on your to-do list other than the most important, which is finish your writing work. Procrastination is just a way of not doing the thing that makes you feel like an imposter. A lot of people in corporate settings who have imposter syndrome become workaholics. They get addicted to the external validation from working rather than the work itself. And the reason they're working so hard is because they're terrified that their boss is gonna think they're not as smart as they put on their resume. They actually don't know what they're doing. When in reality, it's important to remember that their boss probably doesn't even really know what they're doing and that you do have the skills to figure out any task. Another trait to look out for is that people with imposter syndrome have a really hard time asking for help. They like to figure out things on their own and they're extremely independent. That on its own isn't necessarily a bad thing, but when it's coupled with the fear of people finding out you're a fraud and you overcompensate by over-researching, over-preparing, anxiety can fester and it creates added stress that doesn't really need to be there. So most importantly, how the hell can we overcome this? How do we move through these feelings of being an imposter? The first step is to recognize that it's happening, acknowledge its presence, put a name to it, and realize that chronic low self-esteem is actually a real condition that happens to a lot of people. It's very common, but it's important to address it because it can seriously affect your output and prevent you from achieving all of your goals and all the things you want to do. Before I dive into the five tips that I use to overcome imposter syndrome, I just wanna note that I am not a doctor, and I do recognize that anxiety and depression are possible symptoms of imposter syndrome, but they're not necessarily always correlated. If you're feeling less like a fraud and people are gonna find you out, and more internally really clinically depressed, then I would definitely advise talking to somebody. I'll leave some links in the show notes for this episode. And I'm always here if you need me. I'm not an expert, and I know it seems like I talk a lot because I have my own podcast, but I am actually a really good listener, I promise. Now, without further ado, my top five tips for overcoming imposter syndrome. The first one is celebrate wins. And this is something you have to do on your own, even if it's really small, like somebody gave you a compliment that day. Make a note of it in your mind, repeat it to yourself in your mind, and open an expensive bottle of wine that night and toast to yourself. Why not? One way that I celebrate small wins is I write everything down. I log my word count while I'm writing a manuscript because that, to me, is a win every single day. And I try to, I haven't been very good about writing down my daily accomplishments so whether or not i get everything done on my to-do list at the end of the day right before i go to bed usually after my bath i quickly jot down things that i accomplished today otherwise i feel like what did i do today i had a really shitty day i didn't accomplish anything and i'm always surprised holy crap i did a lot of stuff today And then I go to bed thinking, I'm amazing. (laughs) No, I definitely don't think that, but it does show me that I was more productive than I thought originally. Other things that I do to celebrate small wins are keep a kind words folder. That sounds really cheesy and lame, but if anybody ever says anything complimentary or positive, I try to screenshot it and save those messages to look back on when I'm really feeling the imposter syndrome and doubting everything about myself. And the last, I want to say six months, I've kept diligently a habit tracker, which also sounds extremely OCD and type A, but guys, it's so amazing. Basically picture a gridded notebook and I write down one of the columns, all of the habits that I want to do daily, like take my vitamins, make my bed, drink water with lemon, exercise, all of those things. And then I have a little weekly one, like water the plants, do a coconut hair mask, which I never do. Anyway, I color in the different boxes every single day and I look back at the end of a week or the end of a month and I feel so much better about my health, my mental well-being, and it really helps me to visualize those small wins. My second tip is to surround yourself with people who feed your soul. And usually that's another community of writers, but it's also people who support you and just let you know that you're not alone. Imposter syndrome thrives on isolation. That's why it's really important to talk to other people who are going through the same things that you are. Part of why I started this podcast is because I wanted to create a community of writers. While it's easy to talk to my sister, my boyfriend, my parents, and my friends, it's a different thing to talk to writers who are going through the same thing that you are. They just understand it on a whole other level. I was at a wedding recently, and I switched seats with my boyfriend because I wanted to talk to this girl who's also a writer, and we ended up talking the entire night. And without me having to explain anything, she understood and would take the words right out of my mouth, quite literally. We even exchanged numbers and have plans to meet up for coffee here in Toronto because there's still more book stuff that we wanna talk about. It's also important to remember that part of surrounding yourself with people who feed your soul means cutting out people who eat your soul, people who drain your energy, who don't support you, who don't lift you up, who don't leave you feeling good about yourself they probably don't need to be in your life. It's cliche, but it's true. Time is limited, there are only so many hours in the day, and you wanna be spending those precious few hours with people who fill you up. My third tip is to act now, right now. In the wise words of Nike, just do it. If there's something you've been wanting to do, but you've been procrastinating, just start. It's so easy to justify not doing it, find excuses to do anything else but the thing you want to do. You can talk yourself out of anything. Trust me, I talked myself out of starting a blog a million times, of writing a book, of starting this podcast, and as a perfectionist, I was worried it wouldn't be perfect, but I launched anyway because if I kept waiting for the right time, I would be 84 years old and podcasts would cease to exist. There's never a perfect time and it'll never be 100% anyway. So you might as well just go for it. What's the worst that could happen? My second last tip, number four, is disconnect to reconnect. This is something that I try to do as often as I can. When I start doubting myself or feeling that lack of confidence creeping in, I try to go somewhere in nature, whether it's a solo camping trip or a glamping trip, I do a digital detox, I bring a book, no laptop, and I just focus on the little things. Humans were meant to be in nature, we're hunter-gatherers, so I just find it really does ground me. Disconnecting for a little while always puts things into a new perspective. Slowing down, being unhurried, watching the sunset, taking time to thoughtfully prepare a meal, or read a book, or go for a walk, really clears out the cobwebs in my mind and I come back feeling refreshed and ready to tackle new goals. And lastly, number five, remember why you started. Remember why you wanted to do something as crazy as write a book before all of the distractions, opinions, and self-doubt snuck in. I have taped to my wall the reasons why I wanted to write a book in the first place. It stemmed from a love of words and a story that I feel needs to be shared. Another part of remembering my why is a list that I call holy shit moments. So when I got an agent, when I get a book deal, when I see my book on shelf, when I go on a book tour, all of those things. They help me visualize not only my past why, but also my future why. All of these things are a daily practice. If you can, choose small steps towards fulfillment, self-care, self-love every single day. I know those are overused marketing terms, but they're good ones just to remind yourself that your health and your happiness are number one. Lastly, and most importantly, If you write, you are a writer, no disclaimer needed, your successes aren't flukes, and you possess all of the tools and all of the skills that you need to accomplish anything that you want in life. Next time you feel even an inkling of imposter syndrome, celebrate your wins, surround yourself with good people who feed your soul, act now, just go for it, disconnect to reconnect with the things that actually matter, and remember why you started. That's it for today's chapter. As always, the show notes will be on my website under louiseclarejohnson.com podcast. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Let's also be pals on Instagram. You can find me at Johnson and I have a brand new one specifically for this podcast at WordWeaver Podcast. So you can always see an archive of the episodes and it's another place that we can chat about all things bookish or you can comment on one of the guests that I've had on the show until next time i head away with words for a while